If you have your Bible, please turn to the book of Acts. It's been referenced already. We're starting a new series today as we walk together through the book of Acts. So we'll be considering the first five verses, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. That's where we'll start, and we're really excited to go through this book together and see the power that God has given us for the mission that Jesus has called us to. So if you have your place there, we'll go ahead and read Acts 1, 1 through 5, and then we'll ask for God's help. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you have left us your word to reveal to us your Son, and that you have sent your Spirit so that we can understand the truth about him, and that we can be made alive and come to know him, and that we can be empowered to live for him with our one short life. And so we ask that you would be at work now in these moments as we look together into your word. Would you change us today and through this series into the people, into the church that you want us to be for your glory and for the good of our city? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The big idea this morning, as we consider Acts 1, 1 through 5, and really doing that as an overview of the whole book, is this. Look, Luke wrote Acts. Everybody okay? Great. Luke wrote Acts, so we would follow in the footsteps of Jesus' first followers. And if you're looking at this and wondering why some of the words are underlined, that is especially for you kids. We are so glad you guys are in here with us and that many of you are learning to take notes on what is being presented from God's Word. And sometimes it's hard to write down all the words. And so if you're not able to write down all the words... These are kind of like the cheat sheet words, okay? You can just write down the words that are underlined, and that will be fine. Now, if you're able to write all the words that are on there, that is awesome too, okay? But kids, those underlines are for you. We are so glad that you are here together with us, worshiping our Lord and Savior together. So, the big idea is Luke wrote Acts, so we would follow in the footsteps of Jesus' first followers. And so as we think about this book, before we even get into the content of the book, we need to talk for a minute about the author of the book. So we started that big idea saying Luke wrote Acts. Luke never names himself here. He never names himself in the gospel of Luke either, but tradition has told us for a really long time that Luke is the one who wrote this. And we see some evidence for that 
even here in the book of Acts itself. So who is Luke? Luke is a companion of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is going to be featured very prominently as we go through Acts on his missionary journeys. And there's a point kind of in the middle of Paul's missionary journeys where all of a sudden, instead of just talking about he and they, it changes to we. And this happened to us. And you go, wait, what happened? I thought I was reading some kind of history of the early church. And in a way, it is a history of the early church, but it's a history written by someone who was part of it, someone who was there. So this isn't just somebody gathering sources after the fact, kind of like what Luke did to write the gospel according to Luke, right? I shouldn't say, you remember that, right? We looked at the prologue of Luke, like, 27 months ago, 28 months ago. So I'm sure everyone has just every point from that sermon on the tip of your tongue, just like I do. Uh, yes, that was a long time ago. But in those first four verses of Luke, he kind of sets the program, and he says that I wanted to put together an orderly account. And the idea is that he was taking information and putting it together to tell the story of Jesus and what he did. And here, Part of his story, at least, he is writing in the first person. He was there. So he was someone who traveled with Paul. Paul calls him in Colossians 4.4, Luke the beloved physician. He's also mentioned in Paul's letters, his second letter to Timothy, and in his letter to Philemon. Luke actually wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else by volume. You know, we're used to thinking about, like, Paul wrote, like, half the New Testament. And he did, if you're counting books, some of them are actually super short, and some of them are longer as well. But Luke, with his 24-chapter gospel and then 28-chapter account in Acts, wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else. So he traveled with Paul. He was in this. He was part of that early church that was on mission for Jesus. And he also wrote the gospel according to Luke. So the prologue of Luke that we looked at 28 months ago is addressed to the same guy, to Theophilus. And we see that here in verse 1 in the first book, O Theophilus. What's that first book? That first book is the book of Luke, the gospel according to Luke. So it's addressed to this guy, Theophilus. We'll talk about him in a minute. So there's a way in which Acts, and maybe you've never thought about it this way, there's a way in which Acts is actually like a sequel to Luke. That it's a follow-up that Jesus began to do and teach. That's actually what he says. In the first book, O Theophilus, if you look at verse 1, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. And so Luke told us about what Jesus did while he was here on the earth. It tells us who he was, how he was born, It tells us what he did, what he taught, and ultimately that he died on the cross in our place and then rose from the grave, gave his followers commands, which Aaron led us in the reading of at the beginning today from Luke 24, verses 44 through 49, where he's saying this is what had to happen. The Old Testament told us what had to happen. The law, the prophets, the Psalms predicted that the Messiah, the Christ, would suffer and on the third day would rise and repentance and forgiveness of sins would be preached in his name to all nations. 
And he told them, you are witnesses of these things. They had been there for it. They had seen it. And so Acts, as that sequel to Luke, actually picks up in these first few verses right where Luke left off. And we'll see that some this week and then some more next week. He's telling more of the story of what Jesus did. It's interesting that he says what Jesus began to do and teach. You're like, wasn't well, Jesus gone? Right? He, he rose from the dead. And then, you know, we have the 40 days referenced here in verse 3. And then he ascended. That's going to happen next week. But it's even mentioned there until the day he was taken up. It's like you covered all that already. But isn't like, I mean, Jesus is in heaven. Isn't this kind of our story now? Isn't this book entitled The Acts of the Apostles? Sure, it is. But it's what Jesus continues to do through his body the church by the power of the Spirit. So the first book was about what Jesus began to do and teach. Luke had written it so that Theophilus would have certainty about the things that had been accomplished among us, Luke said. But this second book is about what Jesus continued to do and teach through his church as it was empowered by the Holy Spirit. So Acts traces the spread of the gospel through the witness of the church in the power of the Spirit. So, Luke is our author. Theophilus, again, like in the Gospel of Luke, is our recipient. And so just by way of review here, or maybe for some of the kids who weren't up with us, because you were still in the three to five class back then, almost two and a half years ago, and now you're up here with us. So this will be new information for you guys. Theophilus, if you break down his name, that means lover of God or loved by God. And we don't really know anything else about him. He just gets a name here. In Luke, he's called most excellent Theophilus. So he was probably a non-Jewish nobleman. But we don't know that for sure. We don't know who he is exactly. Theophilus also could be a pseudonym. It could be a made-up name. Whether to protect someone's identity, that's one of the possibilities. Or it's also so that he can stand in place of us. Because yes, this was written to one guy originally, but ultimately this is a message for us. Like with Luke, don't we need to have certainty about what Jesus did and taught? That message wasn't just for one guy at one time. It was for everyone who's trusting in Jesus. And so it is with Acts. That Luke's purpose for Theophilus, whoever he was, is also relevant for us. We who, by God's grace, are lovers of God, who have been loved by God. So that's the recipient. So we have author, Luke, recipient, Theophilus, and the purpose. What is the purpose of Acts? In a way, you could say there are many purposes, but I want to focus on one thing for right now, and that's to show that Jesus' life on earth was just the beginning. We've already kind of hit on that a little bit. He's saying what Jesus began to do and teach. But for the disciples, they've been with Jesus already for a few years, and there's a way in which their life in the Spirit is about to start. And we remember what the disciples are like, right? They're brash when they need to be humble, 
They jump in when they need to hold back. They want to call down fire when they should be doing anything but calling down fire. They seem like they don't get it. One of the reasons for that is that they don't quite get it. Yes, they're following Jesus, but they're missing something that they are going to need. And it's why Jesus promised that when he went away, he would send the Holy Spirit. And so now they don't just have Jesus around them. They have the Holy Spirit in them to help them. Well, once we get to chapter 2, which was the promise We saw even in verse 5. Jesus had said to them in verse 4, Don't depart from Jerusalem. Kind of sounds like Luke 24, Stay in the city until you've received the power from on high. He says, Don't depart from Jerusalem. Instead, wait for the promise of the Father, which you heard from me. What was it? For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And Jesus' gospel will go forward in greater ways, far greater ways than it did during his life. And this was always his plan, that it would happen through his spirit-empowered church. Which leads us to the idea that Acts 28 isn't meant to be the end of the story. When we get there, we'll realize it ends kind of abruptly. And it doesn't finish the story. It ends with Paul in prison, kind of under house arrest in Rome, and that he's actually really free there and able to speak the gospel to anyone who comes to him. And the gospel is going forward with freedom and without hindrance, and it just stops. And Paul's been on trial. He's been in several different trials, and now he's going to have a trial in Rome. Luke doesn't tell us how that trial turns out. He doesn't tell us Paul was vindicated in the end and the Jews were wrong with their accusations. It doesn't say he was freed, which scholars tell us he probably was initially before he was later on martyred for Jesus. But he doesn't tell us what the outcome of the trial was. He doesn't tell us about Paul's martyrdom. So it's not really a biography of Paul, even though it can feel like that a little bit in the second half. He's doing something different. He's telling us a story, a story that doesn't yet have an ending. It didn't end in Acts 28, and it still doesn't end even now. There's a network of churches you may have heard of called Acts 29, and they're playing on that very idea. There is no Acts 29 in the Bible. The idea is that now We are still called to be Jesus' people, empowered by the Spirit, taking his gospel all over the earth for his glory. It continues through us. So it's to show that Jesus' life on earth was just the beginning, that we're to follow in the footsteps of these first followers of Jesus. So what about content? What are we going to see in these months together. We are going to see the church on mission. What I'm going to give you now is a very brief outline, probably too brief and therefore too broad, but it will at least orient us somewhat as we move through the story. So you can think of chapters 1 through 7 as the church in Jerusalem. He had told his followers, stay in Jerusalem until you receive that baptism 
of the Spirit, until the Spirit comes. And that happens in chapter 2. But the church doesn't immediately leave the city. They stay in Jerusalem. And so the story focuses on what is happening in Jerusalem. We see a man healed. We see the beginnings of persecution. But we see the church in Jerusalem. And then in chapters 8 through 12, we see the church scattered to Judea and Samaria. Again, this is too broad of an overview because there are some different places that people go. But this is also kind of following the form of Acts 1.8 where Jesus says, But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the gospel begins to spread as the church is scattered by persecution, actually, in the beginning of chapter 8. Everyone except the apostles is scattered. And what do they do? They go out preaching the good news about Jesus everywhere they are. And God begins to rescue a people from outside just one little place and outside of just one group of people. It begins to go to the nations. But then there's a real turn in Acts 13 through the end of the chapter, and we see the church going to the end of the earth with the gospel. Again, there's more than that in there. There's a Jerusalem council where they're debating some really important issues that we'll get to in a while. Not a while today, but a while in the series. Uh, Paul is going to be on trial. He's going to go back to Jerusalem from his missionary journeys and be tried in Caesarea as well. So it's not just that everything is, okay, it's all missionary stories from that point on, but there's a whole lot of it. And the gospel is going through the church from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. If you're not very familiar with the book of Acts, this is a great time to start to get familiar with it. Yes, the sermons on Sundays will be taking us through the book of Acts, but I would love for every one of us to be taking some time to read it on our own. At the very least, if you could read the next stretch, so like for next week, we'll be looking at verses 6 through 11. And if you just read Acts 1, 1 through 11, sometime before next Sunday, and prayed and asked God to teach you what is there, and not just wait for one of us to get up here and say, this is what it means, and this is what it means for you. We're not the only people who know about what's in the Bible. It's for, it's for us. And so, at the very least, I think you could add to your Bible reading plan the few verses that we'll be covering each week. And we send out an email on Fridays. If you're not on that list, you can sign up for that and you can get uh, information about what's going on here. But every Friday we send out our liturgy, our order of worship that has the songs that we're singing, has the readings that we'll be having, it has the sermon text as well. So you can get that. So at the very least, do that. But I think there are some of you, maybe there's some of you who say, like, my, my reading plan um, died in Leviticus. That's where, that's where most of the time they die. Um, so if your reading plan died in Leviticus, you, it's, one, it's still not too late to go back and actually do that. A fine alternative would be to start reading one chapter of Acts every day. And I think some of you who your reading plan is still going strong and you're feeling good about yourself right now, um, I want to challenge you to add a chapter from Acts to your reading for every day. There are 28 chapters in Acts. 
you can read through it then, even if you miss a couple days, other than in February, which we've already had this year. You can read through it every month. And if we spend about a year in Acts, you can have read through the book of Acts 12 times without even really trying that hard. So the first thing that I did in preparation for this series, I didn't read through it 12 times. I'm probably on like the five or six. I've been doing that. I've been reading a chapter in Acts every day, mostly, for the last several months. And it is amazing the things that you see. You know, you read through, especially if you're kind of unfamiliar with it, it's like, okay, there, wow, that's interesting. How does that, how does that work? What does that mean? And then as you see the story unfold, and then you go back and you start it again, you see more and more. It's true with all great stories, right? I can't think of one right now because I didn't plan to say this, but I'm sure (laughs) that you can think of a movie, right, that you watch, and you enjoyed it. It was good. And then you go back and watch it a second time, and you're like, oh, oh. And it doesn't even have to be like one of those mystery ones. It's like, now it's different because I know the ending, right? We're giving away the ending at the outset. We have an idea of what is happening in Acts. But even there, a great story well told will surprise you, even when you know it already. And you'll see connections that you didn't see before. And there are so many connections in Acts. Internally, connections back to Luke, connections back to the Old Testament. There are tons of those. And so if you have a Bible that has cross-references, which most Bibles do, maybe on your second or third reading through, start seeing like, okay, somebody said this, Joel said that. Where did Joel say that? What is going on? So take some time to read, but don't just become familiar with the content. It's not just so that as a church we can say, we know about the book of Acts. No, ask the Holy Spirit to be your teacher and to empower you by God's grace to carry on Jesus' mission in our own day. That's the point, after all, because things haven't changed. We are still in those days So that's the content of the book of Acts, with apologies to anybody who loves any level of detail. All right, theme. What is the theme of Acts? So we have content, but what's the theme? It's power for mission. That's what we're using as kind of the subtitle for this series. If you remember three words about Acts, remember power for mission, and then we'll be able to understand what is that power and where does it come from, but it's We really want to understand what it is for. That power is for mission. And so, what are we talking about? We'll see repeated references to the good news about Jesus. And this, in many ways, the good news about Jesus is the heartbeat of Acts. We have the signs that say it's all about Jesus. And we have the book that keeps telling us it is. And as we walk together through Acts, we'll see Jesus proclaimed as crucified wrongly and risen in glory as Lord of all and the promised Messiah. The word Christ, and I know kids, you know this because you pay attention so well and we've said this before. The word Christ in the New Testament is the same word as Messiah from the Old Testament. So when someone says, and we'll see it a lot in Acts, they were trying to persuade them that Jesus was the Christ. They're like, you're trying to persuade them of Jesus' last name? It's like, no, you're not trying to persuade them of Jesus' last name. 
You're trying to persuade them that Jesus is the promised Messiah, that all God's promises find their culmination, their yes, the way Paul put it, in him. This good news about Jesus is consistently throughout Acts shown to be the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises about the Messiah. So in several sermons that are recorded for us in Acts, we'll see that these first followers of Jesus understood clearly that he's the fulfillment of those Old Testament promises of salvation, redemption, and rescue, that they would come through him. And so the disciples go out in Jesus' name and with Jesus' gospel, and so must we. How far do we go with the good news about Jesus? To the ends of of the earth. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week as we get to Acts 1.8. But it will prove to be a big deal that this gospel goes out to the nations. Because the Jews, in fact, we'll, we'll see the disciples ask a question in verse 6. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They still had a very small vision of what Jesus had accomplished and what was going to be accomplished through his name. And Jesus says, no, it's not just for one place or for one people. It's for all places and all peoples. And we see in Acts the gospel go out throughout the known world. But there's some opposition to it. There are people say, no, 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 not those people. Those people are too different from us. Those people are not like what we expect. They don't do things the way that we do them. And so Jesus couldn't have come for them. We tend to think that we're beyond that sort of thinking. But maybe we're not. And so maybe there's a check for us here as we go through Acts and see God's good news about Jesus going to the end of the earth. Sometimes we're good with the gospel going like all the way over there. Someone else can take it to someone really far away. But it's a little harder when the person who's different is your next door neighbor or is down your block. But this good news, it starts in Jerusalem. It starts at home. And then it goes out from there. And then out from there to the ends of the earth. Jesus' kingdom includes all kinds of people from all kinds of places, not just Jews and not just people who look like you or look like me. And this will be a flashpoint at several pivotal moments in the narrative here in the book of Acts. So it's the good news about Jesus to the ends of the earth through the church. So yes, Peter will be prominent early in the book, and Paul will be featured quite a bit later on. There's a reason it's called the Acts of the Apostles after all. But it's much more than two guys. It's the church, the people who belong to Christ. Yes, the commission of verse 8 is originally given to those first disciples, but it's for everyone who trusts in Christ We'll see the church begin to function as the church, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, praying together, forming structures to care for people, sending out mission teams to preach the gospel and establish new churches, gathering leaders together to decide an important question. There's a lot we can learn about the church and who we are supposed to be together from this book of Acts because Acts gives us not a perfect church, but a model church. 
So the good news about Jesus goes to the ends of the earth through the church despite persecution. The mocking starts right away in chapter 2. Oh, these people are drunk. It turns to threats in chapters 4 and 5. Don't speak in this man's name anymore. Leads to the first martyrdom in chapter 7 of Stephen. Followed by more martyrdom and loads of persecution and difficulty. And through it all, the believers, instead of lining up for battle and going, there's our enemies and we must end them, The believers keep trusting Jesus, praying for boldness to speak up about Jesus, and are determined to stay on mission despite the difficulties they face, praying forgiveness over the very people who are killing them. How do they do that? Because that's not like we are naturally. It's not how I am naturally. You guys are all more spiritual than I am, I'm sure. How do they do that? By the power of of the Holy Spirit. Because you remember the disciples, before the Spirit, they were ready to call down fire on their enemies. But afterwards, you don't see that. They don't want their enemies judged. They want their enemies saved. And we'll see one of the biggest persecutors of the church become the biggest preacher of the gospel. The Spirit is the key to the book of Acts. What changed about these men? Yes, the leaders will take note of the apostles that they had been with Jesus, but a key phrase that we'll see repeatedly in difficult or decisive moments is this. They were filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit, he said, by God's grace, we want that to be our story. That when we face difficulty, when we face decisions, it's not just what I think, It's not just what I feel. It's not just what I want. It's filled with the Spirit, they said. Filled with the Spirit, they prayed. Filled with the Spirit, they went. That's the story of the book of Acts. And that's what we want to be our story. He had told them to wait for the promise of the Father, being baptized with the Spirit. And there's all sorts of debate about what that is. I'm not going to end that in the next three minutes. I'm not even going to talk about it for three minutes. But it's the same from Luke 24 as being clothed with power from on high. And then that is what happens in Acts chapter 2. The Spirit comes in an overwhelming way. Baptism, the, the idea of that word, is immersion. It's where you're being dunked. You are all in. You are in the water. This first church was in the Spirit. They had Him on them, in them, leading them. And it calls back actually to earlier in Luke, John, in Luke 3.16, when John was baptizing and people are wondering if he is the Christ. He says, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And what we see happening in Acts is what happens when you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. The result is boldness for mission. The gospel is preached and people are saved. The church is built up. Isn't this what we want? 
This should be what we desire as God's church, that the gospel goes out through us, that people hear it and believe and are added to the church. We'll see that phrase several times as well. They're added to the church, in some cases daily. But the church is built up not just in numbers, but in depth, the quality of their life together as God's people. And so we'll see a model church. Again, not a perfect church, but a model church. Not one just for us to look back and go, boy, wasn't it great how the Spirit worked in the old days? Language we've used here before is that Acts gives us a church that's meant to be a model, not a monument. We don't just want to have a plaque and be like, yeah, remember that? That was awesome. This is for us, for us today. The big idea was Luke wrote Acts so we would follow in the footsteps of Jesus' first followers. So Acts is written to Theophilus and to the early church about the early church so they would have confidence in God's unstoppable gospel as it goes to the end of the earth through proclamation by the church in the power of the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. The Bible never indicates that the situation has changed between then and now. Yes, there seems to be a special role that the original apostles played as direct eyewitnesses of Jesus, but we'll see several references to the last days as we go through Acts, that God had promised this about the last days, and we are in them now. The same ones that are mentioned at the beginning of Hebrews, and we are still in those last days today. We'll be talking more about that next week. But for now, I'll just say that we're in the same age that was ushered in with the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost. That age has not ended. It continues until Jesus comes again. So that's what's going on in Acts. Please join us for the ride, but don't just come for the show. Come to be shown how to follow Jesus in the power of the Spirit. We have our marching orders from Jesus. What would Northeast Philadelphia look like if we followed them? Maybe that's too big, okay? What about your particular neighborhood within Northeast Philadelphia? What would it look like? What about your block? What about your house? How would things look if, like these first disciples, empowered by the Spirit, we were absolutely convinced by many convincing proofs that Jesus died, rose from the dead on the third day, is coming to reign, and that through our spirit-empowered witness, God is calling everyone everywhere to repent and believe the good news about Jesus. What if we were convinced that that is what we are here for? May God use the book of Acts in our lives to build confidence in his unstoppable gospel and our unique Savior, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we may have boldness to proclaim the good news about Jesus with our lips and by the testimony of our life together. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for your son who has saved us by his life, death, and resurrection. We thank you for the promise that he'll come again. And we thank you for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Would you help us to know this power as we walk through this series in ways that we haven't before? 
that you would fill us individually and corporately with your spirit so that we would be your church, who you want us to be on mission for Jesus while we wait for him to come again. Would you do these good things by your grace, for your glory, for our good and the good of our city. In Jesus' name, amen.